His work ethic, for one, the way he kind of attacked the offseason um, and made some adjustments. I think just being more comfortable in his environment helps too. And um, I think just kind of believing that he's a really good pitcher, you know. So um, I, I take it all the way back to the offseason and the work that he did, and um, he's really seeing the benefits. Well, it's not just you say Kikuchi that's seeing the benefits of that offseason work, whatever it was, Kevin Barker, the Toronto Blue Jays as well. I mean, when we left you folks on Friday, the earth was falling. <laughs> the earth was falling indeed. <laughs> and, uh, well, everything's back to normal. Is it, though? The uh, Jays outscoring Pittsburgh. What? A lot to 22 nothing. to 22 to three, a lot to a little. <laughs> you say Kikuchi, as we all predicted, as we all thought would happen earlier in the year, the skid ended by Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios, and you say Kikuchi. What, uh, what, what do you take from that? Like, are, should you be What do I take from that? It? The National League Central stinks That's is good. what I take from there it. There you go. Uh, what do I also take from it? The same thing you have said since day one. When this team gets even okay, no, when it gets good starting pitching, Mm -hmm. it will probably figure out a way to score runs. I also, the third thing I took is that the Boston Red Sox really are much better than I I thought they were. But look, I mean, all all kidding aside, this is, I I was going to say this is how you come out of a a, a losing streak, a five-game losing streak. That's kind of silly. But in a lot of ways, it is because of what you saw. You saw Dalton Varsho continue to hit. Uh, you won two games where Vladdy wasn't in the lineup. Bichette's continuing to hit. A little bit of life from George Springer. Kevin, the bottom of the order, working well. Brandon Belt started yeah, to welcome hit. to the 2023 season, yeah, Brandon. Bingo. But mostly, it was that that starting pitching. Regardless of the lineup, they still have to go out and pitch. And, you know, I didn't think, with all due respect to, to, uh, to John Schneider, I didn't think that was Yusei Kikuchi's best stuff at all this year. What, he got six whiffs on 44 swings. The ball was put in play a lot. His defense helped him. But, again, Kevin. 14 to 25 or strike ones. He had five three-ball counts. He only had three strikeouts. He threw 58 strikes and 93 pitches. I think that's somewhere around the norm. The one thing that stood out to me was about 15 and a half pitches per uh, per inning. That was a big deal because in his last start, it was over 23 pitches per inning. That's a lot. 23 is a lot. 23 will tell you he'll go four and a third. Exactly. That that's that's the big the big difference. And you mentioned the six swing and misses. He had 14 called strikes. I'm with you. He was he was okay. He wasn't great. Right? He had the, he added a little slow breaking ball. Which is what's that? Hey, where'd that come from? I like I like that. I mean, you go from 97 to to 83, 84. That's a big difference. If you mm-hmm. can throw it for strike, oh oh. That's a big deal. I get you having to cheat now. All of a sudden, you're getting some weak contact. You go a little deeper in games. Give a gives a good hitter something else to think about. Yeah, the uh, I mean the performance that again I keep throwing this out there. I keep feeling like I have to say. Keep in mind, it's not a great team. But you know what? It's 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 not a great team that they're was in first place. Bingo. They were in first place, and they beat. They're not a first place team, but they were in first place. <laughs> that's very, <laughs> okay. that's, that's let's not lie about it. No, that's a that's a very. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. That is a very good way to put it. I really liked what I saw from Barrios on Saturday, though. I liked what I saw from Barrios. Um, four called strikeouts of the seven strikeouts. Five of them on that that slurve. I mean, what he was was he perfect through five? I mean, I don't know four and a, four and a third, I guess. Um, it just looked 
he, he it looked the way it's supposed to look against it, a bad team. Yes, I, I, yes. I, I shouldn't say a bad team. A team that's not as good as you. No, are. that's that's what that's, that's a good what take. It, that is a great way to put exactly it. That's exactly the way. That's it was exactly. The I told you this. You said two out of three. That's, mm, 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 mm. The Blue Jays coming in this season are in some eyes supposed to win the World Series. The Pirates. I don't even know if they're supposed to finish the season. Like I know, no offense to the Pirates. I love their stadium. I love watching baseball games there. Be, it's, it's tremendous. But they they are an up and comer. They're they're not anywhere near beating the top end teams. No. And you're starting to see that against good teams, the Rays, the Blue Jays. It looks against them exactly the way it's supposed to look. And I think we had. Uh... It may have been Jeff Passan who said this, or actually, no, you know what? I, t- I take that back. I think it was Danny on the, uh, Dan Shulman on, on the telecast. You know, I, I, I look at the Pirates and I think, okay, are, are, are what we, is what we are seeing from the Pirates now what we saw from the Orioles last year? And it isn't really because their no. level of, the level of their of their skilled players is not it just doesn't match up to the Orioles. Yeah, the difference the difference is but when it is one a part step of your forward. game's not working, can others make up for it? That's right not, now, the Pirates are not there. No, no, no. It's it's sort of if one's not working, they're losing baseball yes. games by a handful. And I mean, look, what, what sort of what did you expect coming into the season from the Pirates? Absolutely nothing. And that's, again, this gets back to the Blue Jays. And I've said this. You look at the schedule. They talk pockets all the time. The schedule's no different. When you're facing teams that you should sweep, no matter where you're playing them, you have to sweep them because of the other teams now that you're playing. So, yeah, this is a good – as I was trying to sit at home on on Sunday thinking to myself, how are we starting the show? What should we take from this? We take exactly what we should take from it. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat by a handful – that's exactly what happened. I will say this. I like Jordan Romano coming in throwing 98. I like that very much. I like that a lot. Where's the, I don't like the 94s. I love the 98. The, the 98 with the slider, he's throwing the slider harder. He was throwing the four-seamer harder. That's the way it's supposed to look. But he's is, also, it, is it because the bases were loaded and you were up by three runs? I don't, I don't know like about that. that. But so, again, you're taking a bunch of good things from this. Maybe the bottom of the lineup starting to turn the corner a little. All it takes is confidence. Forget yeah, about who they're playing. I wouldn't worry about the Romano stuff that much because I just he. Cl- there are closers that are like that. I mean, I there just are. Well, there the are closers. Say he's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, he needs to pitch with something on the line. And quite frankly, uh, if I'm the Jays, I want him pitching when there's something on the line. I want him in a situation where he's going to be closing out a lot of games. Let's face it, that was not. That wasn't the plan yesterday. Was no, for him no. to pitch that. Was for him to pitch the. the, the he was inning. ready for it. Good for him. He was ready for yeah. it indeed. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned, the Jays have taken three, took three from the Pirates. They have today off. They'll start a very quick two-game series against the Phillies, and they've got an off day Thursday, and they return to the Rogers Center to it's take on then. the Atlanta Braves. This is a this is a really really good homestand coming up. A couple of things we need to talk about right out of the gate, of course. Number one. Vladdy Jr. not playing in the three games because of left wrist soreness, uh, which uh, apparently apparently he he noticed it on a swing in Friday's game. Mr. Former hitter, left wrist soreness for a right-handed batter. Yeah, that's his bottom hand. He he has tremendous torque with his bottom hand. It it does a lot of the driving. He's a line drive hitter. He's not a start with the back elbow trying to create loft with his swing. He's not that guy. He needs that bottom wrist to do the driving. That's his steering wheel. Wherever that thing goes, the barrel will follow. And if he doesn't have the strength with that and can be able to adjust 
you know, with some lower half things going on that that probably shouldn't be going on at times. He needs really good wrist direction. And for, you know, them to be able to win three out of three with him only playing in one of them, that's a big deal. That is a that is a thing. Now it doesn't sound like it's too big of a thing. So good for them that they gave him the two days off. He's got the day off today. He'll probably be raring and ready to go tomorrow. Hopefully he's playing first. You, know, you don't want to see him over there and trying to keep that thing loose, DH, and it's, no. that's hard to do. So hopefully he's playing first base, and it's not a big deal when it comes to those kind of things. And good for them. It's sort of, if it's going to happen, it happened at the right time against the against right team. Against the right team. Absolutely. So, and the other the other thing John Schneider said before the game Friday, and we, he kind of hinted to us when he came on the air that he was going to do this. We talked about the issues, the Jays, just the sloppiness of that that series in Boston, the errors that were made, even when the game was out of hand, those errors still drive managers. And that's the fact that the Red Sox were nine for nine for nine in stolen bases. One of the things John Schneider said before the game, he was going to stress attentiveness. And, you know, I could see people rolling their eyes. Well, shouldn't they always be attentive? I was me. I'm going to roll mine. Yeah. It, they should always, they should always be attentive. Absolutely. But it is a, I guess it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to reinforce that message. And whether or not that was the case, Kevin, um, they just yeah, the stolen they base better. thing is still an issue. Like, like if you if you're if you're a running team against the Jays pitching staff, I'm running all day but, and twice on Sunday. Yeah, but here here's the thing. That, all that, day. That that is going to be an issue for the rest of the year. Absolutely. With this team. That's not if you haven't corrected Absolutely. it. That's something you don't you don't with all due respect to the Jays' coaching staff, you don't work on quote-unquote holding right. I think they're they're yeah. bringing it to the attention of the people right. that need to, you know, sort of figure things out and Keep an hold eye the ball it. a little longer. Exactly. You know, use that pitch timer to your advantage. Me, if I'm a, if I'm a good base runner, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. But my my point is, it's a lot easier to play clean baseball when your pitchers are in control of the game, right? When they're in command of the game. And one of the things I really liked, and I think, I, I, I don't know if it was Jose Barrios who made this comment, or maybe it was John Schneider with Barrios. Barrios controlled that game. He controlled the rhythm of the game. Yeah. He controlled everything about that game, which I think we saw by the, the defensive performance, the defensive performance behind him. Mm-hmm. But uh, you are right. The stolen bases are still going to be an issue. Teams are going to take advantage of it. There are teams in baseball that are being much more aggressive this year. And 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 you're correct. The, the only way the Jays are going to be able to figure this out, Danny Jansen's not going to suddenly lose two seconds or whatever it is no. off, his, off his pop time. I mean, it's just not going to happen. They are going to need their pitchers to figure out a way to manipulate the pitch clock. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's the one part of the pitch timer that – Kevin, as the year's gone on, or as this season's gone on, we're starting to see, if you watch more and more games around baseball, it you almost get the sense the pitchers are saying, okay, I have limited disengagements now under these rules. I can't mm-hmm. throw over 10 times, mm-hmm. but I can hold the ball to one second. I, sure. can hold, I can throw it 10 seconds. I can screw with the runner's timing. And, and anybody way. quick to the plate? Manoa? No. Gosman? No. Bassett? No. Barrios, he's athletic. He's not quick to the play. You say Kikuchi, he's athletic. He's the same way. I, I'm with you. I, I don't know how they adjust. And how many of those guys do you want holding the baseball, worrying a ton about uh, who's standing in first no. base? Not real sure you want no. that, right? No. You don't have a ton of swing and miss throughout those five guys. It's not they're trying to make up for that. It's more of weak contact from a bunch of dudes, which means the location, the late movement has to be there. That's why 
a lot of, you know, good base runners are taking advantage of you not paying a ton of attention to them at first base. I, 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 I don't know how much we should make of it is my point mm-hmm. that, that that's the thing, right? Is, is it, it's it such a big deal. Maybe late in the game, early in the game. Do I care if a guy's still in second with two outs? Man, I, I, I should, Can but I, do I really want one of these five guys worrying about it that much? I, Slide-stepping Manoa's thing, slide-stepping Barrios' thing, slide-stepping Bass's thing. Bass has got enough going on. He's got 25 pitches. I got to tell you, I'm more, calling his own game. I'm more interested in seeing the Jays use the base game, the base running game to their advantage than I am how they're going to defend it. Yeah, I don't think they're going to. I don't think they got a bunch of guys that are going to steal a bunch of bases. I think it's more of you be smart about it. You be smart about when you're going first to third. Louis Rivera's got to be real smart about when he's sending a guy first to home. I think that's more what you're talking about. There's obvious mm-hmm. guys. Whit Merrifield's a base runner, Don't right? He's going to steal some bases. I, he, for me, is more worried about right now getting everything lined up to get on base. I get your point. And maybe later in the season, you sort of give them a little bit more rain to do whatever they want to do. Don't be crazy with it. They have been, uh, some good hitters. That's the point is. You don't want to run into outs. You don't want to take away a bat from somebody that you shouldn't be doing that with. That's the whole point. It's gonna, they're going to be smart with it. The Pirates, run T can't run anymore until it looks silly. Well, like, playing. it looks silly in one of those games where, well, you know, the first you got yeah, I mean, try, trying to back off a Trying to steal third with a lefty, with hitter, with a lefty hitter at the play. That's I, silly. I mean, it's just dumb. Yeah. That, that, the Pirates, you, you can make the case that the Pirates from the first inning of that series, I mean, it was. It was it Let was, some it, of the pitching off just the hook. stupid. Yeah. They it, did. it was dumb base running. Early in the game. And I'm sure that the, the, the talk going into that series was hey, the Red Sox ran in these guys. Let's be aggressive. Let's push the issue. And uh, again, credit the Blue Jays. By and large, they played a pretty clean defensive series without the first baseman in for two of those games. Uh, Brandon Belt, Dalton Varsho, starting to actually see a little bit of performance out of the Jays' left-handed hitters. Now, Varsho's ob- Varsho I, went in the water yesterday. Which you're, is, you're not doing that unless you're connected. You're not thinking about your lower half. You're just, yeah, you know, it was with two strikes, too. You're not, you're not, it's very simple. It's repeatable. It's where I can have a barrel whip. Like, he's got little stacked arms that he just wants to get the barrel in the zone, down and through it. He's not a uppercut guy. He's got a natural little uppercut because he's a left-handed hitter. But it's mainly I'm driving it with my bottom hand. I'm I'm driving down and through the baseball. I want to create backspin. You can tell he's not thinking about his lower half, which is a good thing. Brandon Belt's bat looks quicker to me. He's more stacked with his upper half. You can tell that the camera's there. You can tell his little setup. You can see his chin. Do I look comfortable to you? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you just got to say, can I get a little bit more comfortable? Like this, putting my chin on my shoulder. I can't even speak. It looks it looks weird, right? So it, it, he looks a little bit more free and easy now. You know, he gets arm barry sometimes where the hand's out and around. That's why you see the little weak ground ball. You see the little pop fly to left field. Now it just seems like with some dumb pitching, can I throw that in there? Not his fault, but he did get some dumb pitching after being laid on some elevated heaters. They flip him a slider to speed his bat up, but that just that gives him confidence, right? There's something that he's doing in the cage is finally translating to on the field. And, yeah, I don't know if they, they're, they're going to carry your team. Varsho might because of where he's hitting in the lineup, and he's going to have to come up with some big hits. Belt, 
I think what you get offensively, five, what is it? If he's five for seven, three doubles, three RBIs in two games. You take that quite a bit. Can he do that quite a bit? I'm not sure. Good teams are not going to throw him what the Pirates threw him. Again, I'm not going to throw cold water on this because it's better to see the five for seven with the three doubles and three RBIs than not see it. But he's facing the Braves. You think they're going to give him a one-two hanging slider after an elevated 98 and he's four days late on it? Absolutely not. So that's the thing, right, is got to be careful what you're seeing. The Varsho thing, I like you that. Like you're seeing short and direct to the ball. He's got link to it. He's balanced. You can tell it's not thinking. Like it's not churning at the plate. If you think long, you think wrong. He's not thinking too much about it. He's found something he can repeat. He can hit velocity. He can hit the breaking ball. He's doing it to the pull side, which is a pull hitter. Keep doing that. He'll have the year that everybody wants him to have. So, yeah, they they gained a lot of confidence. I think it's a big deal, right? Belt now all of a sudden feel, feels like he's a part of the Blue Jays. It's a big thing. We'll be joined by uh, David Sampson and uh, former Jays reliever Jason Grilly. Nice. Later on, it'll be fun to talk to Jason. Enjoyed his, enjoyed his time here. Um, that'll be in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll also have Blue Jays tickets to give away. And, of course, in a few minutes, we'll take our weekly look around the AL East, uh, the division that continues to be a bear. Best in baseball. It's not even close. Uh, it's not even close. Not even close. Not even close. Uh, we Guy that we've kind of touched on a bit, but a guy who had a good series, but quite frankly has had a good month going back to, well, probably the first week, second week of April maybe. Whit Merrifield, he's got his first home run on Sunday, a three-run shot. Mm. Kevin, through 35 games, he's got a 750 OPS. He's got seven steals. He's played really good at second base, I thought. And he has a 291 average. Now, the second base, there is no battle for second base. Second base is Whit Merrifield's, and it's Santiago Espinal's when Merrifield has to go into the outfield for, for whatever reason. From what you've seen, mm-hmm. and understanding, understanding the type of player Whit Merrifield was, the type of hitter Whit Merrifield was two or three years ago, can he keep this up? Are you buying what we've seen through 35 games? Because he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's faced some good teams, he's faced some bad let's teams. Let's simplify this. He's played every single day in May. Every single day. He's he's six for 28, 11 total bases, two doubles, a home run, four RBIs. He's hitting 214. That wit? In May. In May. That wit? Simplify. Again, you don't, Overall, want, to, though, you don't want to go over a 35-game span, You especially when April is the first month because everybody's trying to find their way. If you look at Varsha's numbers in April, they were atrocious. Right. Look at them in May. They're not. So you you simplify it. You shorten how you're looking at every single player in May. In May, he's hitting 214. He's become their everyday second baseman for me because of the way he handles his bat. His stride foot is shorter. That means he's more straight up and down. That means he's able to throw the barrel at all parts of the strike zone. That's why you see him hitting breaking balls. You see him hitting elevated fastballs. Right, it's a simple approach that I take the fastball the other way. I pull the off-speed pitches. So what you're saying is you're not certain there's anything to buy yet. I, uh, I well, don't know. I don't I mean don't, that. What, what is your what is your expectations of Wit? Uh, my expectations of Wit is to hit what he's been hitting over 35 games. I expect to see somebody hitting around two. For him to be a major contributor for this team, I need him to hit around 290. I need him to steal some bases for me. Huh? Yeah, I need him to steal some bases for me. I really do. Well, I think he's going to steal the the bases for you. He's a career two eighty six hitter. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's in I, 291 right now. Uh, I, I expect to see. I, I would take, I mean, I would take 280, I guess, but I, I, I don't want him to be a black hole in the bottom of the order. I think he, him playing every day is going to help a lot. The, the swing... For me, anyway, because he's a straight up and down guy. Straight that needs guy, to play every day, right? They do because their eyes are far, really far away from the, for the, the strike zone. And guys have his issue is not east and west; it's north and south. Because I stand, meaning him, yeah. straight up and down. The eyes are really far away. The ball up looks like it's down when you stand straight up and down. Unless you actually stand in the box, see a pitch from a pitcher, it's really hard to describe that. But that's the thing, right? And the more he plays, the, the the better chance he has of laying off of or being a little bit more compact, more direct to the elevated fastball, which allows him to hit the ball right center, left field line, left field line on a breaking ball. He can get out in front. He's a big directional guy. He's a big stand straight up and down, which means the stride foot has to be shorter, not so long. When it's long, the bat drags. The bat drags. He misses elevated fastballs. He looks weird. And then you see him step out, and he goes, he's telling himself all these things, the hand and the shoulder. So, yeah, the playing time is a huge deal for him. Good for the Blue Jays that he's playing every single day now because he'll get the big hit. He'll hit the big three-run homer. He's not going to do that a bunch because he's not a power hitter. But he'll get the big hit for you. So he's not th- this – and I don't mean this. I don't mean this to be as negative as it's going to sound. What I want from guys in the bottom of the order, I want as many guys as possible who aren't rally killers. Like a rally is going to take place in the top of the order, but I, I want guys in the bottom of the order who are going to get me, get my leadoff guy to the plate as much as possible in the game. And maybe maybe see some pitches. Maybe wear down some. Maybe wear down some guys. And that's. One of the things I really liked about the bottom of the order in this series is they really did contribute. They really did. Uh, Espinal contributed. Jansen, you know, we're starting. It's been kind of a, it's been a slog for Danny. It's been a slog for Danny. Oh, he's a one-sided guy. But You know, you flip him breaking balls, you elevate the hater. It's, you're going to see that. He's not a great hitter. He's a power hitter. But again, that's. Santiago Espinal, you feel sorry for him. I mean, he's never, he never plays. Like it's the batting average. I don't even know what you expect from that anymore. He played good defense. You hopefully he doesn't make an error. I think even, even that will suffer because he's not playing a ton. It's it's going to be hard for him to be a consistent big leaguer. I think on a I think on a team that wins the World Series, he's your twenty fifth or twenty sixth guy. I, is he capable of that? I think he he has to be. Like it has to is a, a big. Well, uh, let me ask you: if if you were, I'm not saying I don't want him on my no, team. No, 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 no. I I know exactly what you're saying. If you were if you were a team, um, I don't know a team. If you're a team like Pittsburgh, who in a week to, uh, you may have a chance of going to the postseason, would you view a guy like Santiago Espinal as an everyday player? Absolutely. Is is there no, a world? Okay, but like, is there a world? Is there a team? Throw aside a team that just stinks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not talking about Oakland. Mm-hmm. Is there a world where he is an everyday player on a good team? Everyday players, four days a week, five days a week, seven, five days, seven a week. days a week. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we saw him last year, second half, sort of be who Santi is. Yeah. Is he, he's a trier. He's going to move all over the place defensively. He's going to make some really good plays. He'll make the routine play most of the time, if not all the time. This year he hasn't. Mentally, he's gotten off to a slow start. 
There's reasons why that is. You bring three second basemen. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yep. Like mentally, it's tough on young guys to sure try and is. figure out who am I? Why am I here? I went to what the All Star game me? last year. How come what I can't get a start? Why, why am I not playing? Like it's mentally, I think it's more mental than it is for him physically because of who he's around in the off season, what he brings defensively. Offensively, when he's playing back to back, back to back days, like three days in a row, that little short leg kick that he has, I mean, he's, he's, hits line drives all over the place. You know, he can hit behind runners. He can, he can hit and run. You know, I don't say he can bunt because he's not a very good bunter, but he can do little things at the bottom of your order to help your team win. When he's not playing a ton, is he a big leaguer? That's the question you got to ask yourself. I, I now, think he's absolutely me, for, a big for me, leaguer. For me, for sure, he is on this That's team. That's without question. Absolutely. Who would you rather have, him or Kevin Biggio? Yeah, I'd, obviously. Uh, obviously what? Oh, obviously Espinal. Not not even close. Not even close. I think it'd be closer for some coaches on that team than you think. There's a reason why he ain't playing. Just saying. Like, if you're that good and they think you're that good, like Whit Merrifield, they thought something was there. You can get two hits a game. We're going to keep running you out there. You'll figure it out. We'll give you some time off in between, right? We'll play you in left. We'll, we'll play you wherever. But you got to hit because they think you can hit. If they thought he was really, really good, he'd be playing somewhere every day or more. No, it's That's the thing, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it, I, we're, he's the 25th, 26th guy on this team. Could he go to the Pittsburgh and be an everyday player? Yeah, maybe. He might he'd still hit eighth or ninth for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Anyhow, I do like. There are days like yesterday where it's nice to know that that glove is going in. He's a really good defender. He's a really good defender. He's he most of the time makes the throws that he's supposed to make. It's offensively. It's mentally. That's a big change. I went through that as a player where you think you're an everyday player, and then the organization's telling you the other that you're not. Now it's a mental grind to just figure out routine-wise, how do I do it? Who do I talk to to do this? Mm. Most of the people I hang out are everyday guys and they're young. Yeah. They don't know how to not play every day. So who do I talk to? Brandon Belt? And I, Brandon and, Belt wouldn't care. And like, let's face it, too, Santiago Espinal wants to get paid at some absolutely. point. And he's not getting paid getting you know, getting one start a week. Absolutely. So it's not the, been the easiest thing for him. And, and he's a good kid, which everybody cares, seems to care about that. I do. He's... Every time you walk up to him, you talk to him, he's a good conversation. He tells you what's going on, how how he's feeling. So you root for him. But you know, it's he's not gonna be the reason why they don't win a World Series. Let's no. let's put it to you that way. On the other hand, he probably won't be the reason that they win a World Series. There either. you go. Uh but he's a role player. Yep. Uh George Springer Friday, his first home run since April fourteenth. Uh, it, speaking of Espinal, I, I found that play interesting. Rich Hill was on the mound. It was a curve. But Espinal was clearly distracting Hill. Was at, he? On first base. Yeah. Rich Hill's a bazillion years old. Doesn't matter. Old. Guy's still got you, you, you can tell by You can tell by watching it. You could tell by watching him. I think he didn't get it out front and didn't throw the breaking ball where he wanted to in a 3-1 count. He yeah. didn't think George would be looking 3-1 breaking ball up. Yeah, you could Because he's a veteran guy. That's a fastball count. You could tell by watching Hill, though. I still think that there's there is a thing there when it comes to uh, to dudes on. I mean, Santiago Espinal's got like three career stolen bases. Doesn't matter. I Doesn't mean, matter. Hey, how many times have we seen? Take a look at the number of times the, the Jays runners. Take a number of times the Jays threw over. Look at the number of times the Jays threw over with Carlos Santana on the bases last year. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's just guys, they want to hold guys close. And you okay. can't you can't do that in baseball now, necessarily. You've got to use the pitch clock to do it. Um, well, if it did, shame on him. Yeah, I think he's it, been around forever. I think it he happens. know how to do it. I think it happens every now and then. I think even the best ones sometimes get sometimes get distracted mm. by it. Uh, it was a big weekend in the East as well, in addition to the Blue Jays playing. The uh, Rays and Yankees, boy, they got at it. A little bit of they nastiness. They don't like each other either. They hate I each other. It. And they've got a series coming up in the Bronx this yeah. weekend. Did you see 32,142 fans at the yeah. drop? They had 29, I believe, on Saturday, 32 yesterday. That's crazy. And I watched part of the game yesterday, and one of the – usually the Yankees come to town, and it's 70-30 Yankees sure. fans to yeah. Rays fans. Different this time. 28-7, yeah. It was different this time. Rays are 28-7. Uh, Garrett Cole did something he's only done one other time in his Yankees career. You want to talk about bizarre stats, we'll run that one out. Garrett Cole not having a good weekend yes, uh, this past weekend. The Orioles, yeah, they played well against a, a really Moral good team. victory. You take those? If you're the Orioles. I would. Uh, I mean, you played them tough. You could have won the last two out of three. Yeah, but, well, well, we'll talk about one of the reasons they didn't win, and, and I'm going to give Brandon Hyde credit for this because, as, as someone pointed out on uh, – and, and don't tell me why I was looking at Orioles' Twitter – but someone pointed out I, in, someone pointed out on Saturday, no, that, that was the first time Brandon Hyde's managed this team like a guy who thinks his team's going to be in the win. postseason. Ooh, we'll talk about that awesome. when we come back. In the East next, it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Been a lot of fun on the show. Jason Grilly, former MLB pitcher with the Pirates. I love the way Mark Poffa, Blue Jays, Pirates, Braves, etc. Uh, he's host of the Mound Visit podcast. He'll be along at 1130. We'll talk about what he makes of the Blue Jays, the AL East. Talk a little to Jason Grilly about pitching in general, but one of the things I want to talk to him about is, you know, when we talk about the pitch timer, I think most of the time we focus on the impact it has on the starting pitcher. I wonder if there's any difference on a reliever, the impact it has on a reliever uh, coming in the game. We'll talk to him about that. David Sampson, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson on Metal Lark Media, former Marlins president. He'll join us. We're going to talk about what you do with a bad contract. And I'm thinking specifically of the St. Louis Cardinals and Wilson Contrera. They basically told him, we don't want you to catch for now. We don't want you to play in the outfield for now. We want you to DH. Cardinals. Cardinals are Odd. a mess. The guy's got, that manager's got to be, he's got to, he's got to be. It's manager's fault. Absolutely. In this case, absolutely. In this, well, let's put it this way. No, it's always the player's fault. But in this case, the managers picked a fight, picked a fight with one of his players two games into the season, and has just basically told the dude they gave a lot of money to that he can't catch anymore. Um, I mean, that that was like twenty nine games ago. Yeah. Anyhow, we'll. Uh, it's still there. We'll talk about that. Hmm. We'll get Samson's view in the AL East as well. Uh, Speaking of bad contracts, we talked in last week about Carlos Rodon and the New York Yankees. Uh, his back wow. injury is chronic. Now, I, I understand, and I'm sure we'll talk to Samson about this. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the whole matters like insurance and, and things of that nature. But as we found out 
Uh, who do we have on? We were talking about, and oh, we had uh, Tad Le- uh, Levine on the uh, the Twins GM in yep. spring training, and we were <clears throat> talking about insurance. And he said the idea you don't generally you don't get a, a guy's whole contract covered with insurance. Sure, insurance is really expensive, mm-hmm. and you don't get it in every player. But generally, you only recoup a certain amount of the guy's contract. Anyhow, we'll talk to Samson about that. A lot to talk about there. Yeah, uh, there was a lot happened this weekend, mm-hmm. and much of it took place, Lance Kennedy, in the East. There was a ton of stuff happening in the East. Kevin Barker. Talk to me, Jeff. Garrett Cole. The New York Yankees have scored six runs or better. With Garrett Cole on the mound, 23 times. Mm -hmm. How many of those do you think he's won? 23. No. 22. No. 23. Why would he say he's won 23? Because he lost yesterday. He blew a 6 nothing lead. Second time it's happened. Second time it's Uh, happened. This is how the Rays won. We are in the 10th. And the line drive beats hit over LeMayu's head. Here comes Lau. Throw to the plate. Rays win. Yeah, this uh, that was quite a win. Again, Garrett Cole, a 6 nothing lead. The race scored five. Christian Bettencourt, they first pitched three-run home run in the sixth to tie the score after Cole. Uh, Cole went into the fifth working on a two-hit shutout. And uh, the Rays took two of three from the New York Yankees. And a reminder, a reminder that uh, the Rays are currently in a stretch where all 29 of their games, that's all the games they're going to play this month of May, are against teams that have a 500 record or better. Yeah. Tampa Bay, if you're interested. Now, we talked about they've had an easy schedule, yada, yada, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. That's over. Kevin, they're 10-5 and five against teams that have a 500 okay, or better they got record. The, they got the Orioles for three, the Yankees for four, the Mets for three coming up, the Rays do. The Yankees have the A's for three, the Rays for four, and the Jays for four. Yep. So both schedules, you know, you got, you got some – Room for maneuvering in there. Rosarena got hit after the home run, his first at bat, two yep. times. Big deal. You care? Uh, I I don't care, but it, no, it's just another just another part of just another part of that whole Yankees race. The Rays, Yankees and Rays don't like each other. No, like, absolutely here, I'm going to say something really controversial right Let's now. Let's hear it. The most Fever pitched series in the American League East is no longer Boston and, and 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 the Yankees. Yeah, it's the Rays and the Yankees. The Rays and the Yankees are you. where you see the real hatred. I'm with you. They, and and it's been that case now for a couple of years, going back to uh, what was Kevin Cash's line about? I got some horses down in my bullpen. That, sure. Yeah, yeah. That is the series in the AL. With all due respect to everybody else, don't get me started. Rays and Yankees right now. That is the most Fever pitch series we, we, in the AL. We, we, talk, we talk about some unknowns at the bottom of the order for for the Blue Jays. Isak Paredes is, if you notice, he's a pretty good hitter. He he is a he, yeah, Jeff. Dude, you know why he's a, he's a really good hitter? You look, you start digging into some numbers. He's got 21 RBIs. The reason why I say 21 RBIs, he's hitting 303 with runners in scoring position. Hmm. He's a dead pull hitter. 
dead pull hitters that can hit over 300 with runners in scoring position, that's special. Like, like For him to be able to do things and you can move him around in your order, you put him at the bottom of your order, you can put him at the top of your order, you can put him in the middle of your order, you could do a bunch of things. The bottom of their order is doing some of the series back. He's a fast guy. Yep. Run around with his hair on fire. Bethan Core is a nice player. He too. is, absolutely. They got some role role players mm-hmm. at the bottom of their order that can do things, right? It's, you can't take every little pitcher, I think, little pitcher, because I don't like pitchers, can to have a little window where they can take some time off, right? There's a reason why in the 35-game span that's the best start since 1901 is because their order – doesn't really allow you to do that. You have to make good pitches yep. to everybody. Those names sort of solidify that. They're a really good team. Can we stop saying this is a fluke? I don't uh, think well, it is anymore. No, I don't, I don't think it is anymore either. And, and you know what? You got the sense, Kevin Cash. This time of year, managers, we already said, there's no big series this time of year. There's no big series this time of the year. But I don't know, Lance Kennedy, if Kevin Cash is necessarily buying that argument. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know how you've quantify, magnify, whatever it is, games in, in, in May. But this was a big one. And I know our, our, our clubhouse is pretty excited, and they should be. Yeah, they should be indeed. They, uh, uh, I mean, they just got it going on. And what you're you, right. Okay, what do you do if you're the Yankees? Jeff, can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some numbers here. Okay, yesterday the Yankees were one for 15 runners in scoring position. They had that runner on third base, situational hitting. Talk about this all the time with the Blue Jays. People roll their eyes. The team stat. No, it's not not until you actually try and get one because it's very hard to do. That's how the pitchers lose money as they give up runs. Let me give you some numbers. Yankees have hit eight homers in their last seven games. Not real good. Mm-hmm. 13 in their last 15 games. When did Stanton go out? No idea. Don't remember. They scored 48 runs in their last 15 games. That's Ooh. 25th in baseball. That's 13th in the AL. Judge will be coming back. The reason why I, I gave you those numbers, Aaron Hicks talked about bad contracts. Mm-hmm. You know what the Yankees owe him the next three years? $30.5 million. Bargain. They're talking about him not being a switch hitter anymore, just hitting right-handed. Yeah. What do you do with that? So when Judge comes back, they're going to have to do some things to the roster. Maybe that's where they do it, right? Every once in a while, I don't really believe in this, but every once in a while when your team's not doing things you're, you expect them to do, you sort of make a move. Maybe you release somebody just to release them, just because. Yep. Maybe that's where they do it. Yeah, good news for the Yankees. Harrison Bader came back. and Seven for 18, two homers it. and seven RBIs since he's been back. Yeah, he's been a big deal. But then there's everybody else, and everybody else is doing nothing. Yeah. So nah. they can't get judged back quick enough. And I do think they're going to have to make that decision, I do believe, on Tuesday. Sort of. So he should be back sooner than later is the point. And if you're a Yankees fan, you probably can't get him back soon enough. I wonder what Aaron Boone had to say after Sunday's game. I would just sum up this three-game story. It's three one-run games. You guys came back in all the games, but can you go home and listen to two out of three? Do you take any positives out of it, or do you look at the end result today? Yeah, you know, I've said a lot. These guys are competing their asses off. They really are. And um, we're hooked up each and every game. We're locked in. There's a lot of good things that are happening. We're obviously fighting and little beat up and it's difficult when you know you play pretty well and and lose that two out of three to a division rival um but you know we're we're getting there maybe (laughs) i don't know where you're getting the place to get right now is uh fourth place if you're the new york yankees but again a couple of games over 500 this division is this division is so tough, and I don't know. That might play into the Yankees. Maybe that plays into the Yankees' hands. They're, ten, a little they're bit. ten back in last place of the race. 
10 back. Double digits is never good. That's a lot. Oh, the, the, the thing is, there's four teams in front of you. Well, there's three because you're trying to make a playoff spot. you got to figure you have to probably finish in that mm. third spot in the American League East if you've got any chance whatsoever of making the playoffs. I'm not saying they can't do that because those numbers offensively sort of stand out. And if, they, if they've just turned that around and start getting some bigger hits, which you're assuming they will when they get some guys back. But, man, like 10 back, Jeff, that's a lot. Garrett Cole had some thoughts as well after that performance. I mean, I feel like we're trying to play flawless regardless of who we're playing, to be honest. But um, certainly tough teams are going to capitalize on mistakes um, and take advantage of, you know, any opposition, you know, mistakes that they can. And in this situation, they did. And, you know, we battled. I mean, our guys were our guys were fantastic today. I just, I just let up too many. And the thing that was really noticeable about that inning, this may be the first time that I've seen this with Garrett Cole, as much as I watch Garrett Cole start. Kevin, he didn't seem to have an answer in that inning. You know Garrett Cole, when it gets yeah. out of control, seems to have an answer. Turbo and real good. Either. No, well, and that's what I wanted to bring up. One of the things Aaron Boone said, they didn't have a secondary. For whatever reason, sure. the secondary pitch disappeared in that inning. And it that is. just kind of reinforces, doesn't it, that you can throw as, as hard as you want to throw, as good as your fastball is, when you get in trouble... You can't – you need your secondary Yeah, you pitch. know what it is, too? The hitters have seen velocity so much now, it's just not a big deal. Now, Garrett Cole's velocity is a little bit different because of where he puts it. A lot of the times, if he just doesn't throw it down the middle, because most of the time it's 98, 99 miles an hour, and that's still 98, 99. But you still need the yacker. You still need the tunneling, mm-hmm. breaking ball that you can get to swing and miss on when you really need it. For whatever reason, he didn't have that. And, again, it gets back to the race. The entire lineup, if you don't make a good pitch when you have to make it, they beat you. Plain and simple. Well, the Rays, as we mentioned, will play four games in the Bronx next week, and they've got three against the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles going into Atlanta. Michael Harris, the second, walked off the Orioles with the run-scoring single in the the 12th inning. That put the Braves' record at 24-11. and It's the best in the majors. They will be in Toronto this weekend, by the way, for a three-game series. And with that loss... The, the the Orioles saw their string of series wins snapped at seven. But this was this is what I was talking about a little earlier. This is kind of interesting. They lost a one-run game on Saturday. Okay, they dropped the 5-4 decision. Brandon Hyde went into the game and told Felix Batista and Yanni Cano, night off. You're not getting up in the bullpen. Sit and watch the game. They ended up losing the game 5-4. Bullpen didn't do the job. But Brandon Hyde said after the game, he put his hand up and said, hey, look, I'm looking ahead. We've gotten a lot of innings. We talked about the Orioles' bullpen a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. about the innings they're racking up. He said, a lot. I need to give these guys a bit of a blow. And you know what? If that means kind of sacrificing a game in May, well, you got to do it. By the way, a shout-out to Kevin Pillar. Two-run pinch hit home run. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. The Braves scored the comeback win. Kevin Pillar, who was like a 99th round draft pick, got 100 career home runs. Look forward to seeing him. Look forward to seeing him uh, this weekend in Atlanta. But interesting that Brandon Hyde, Kevin, is has taken that approach. Look, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, no, but not. to be that open well, about well, it. When, when people that cover your team, which is the Orioles, are starting to say things like not intimidated and competitive, what does that say about your club? I think that says exactly what Brandon Hyde's trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Is we're 
long term here. We're thinking about our team's pretty good. We, we think both sides of the ball, and now the defensive side and the base running, and occasionally we can steal a bag when we need to do that because of our bullpen. We can close out a bunch of games when we're fully healthy and everybody's raring and ready to go. Yeah, look, I, I think they can they can do some things. And, again, we talked about the, the Rays being real. I think the Orioles, yeah. it applies to the Orioles, too. And they're about to get Michael Givens back and Dylan Tate back, which will make the pin yeah. longer. That gives them. Lengthens that thing out to now where they don't have to use every single main guy in every single main spot. So they're a good team. They're not a surprise. They're a good team, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you completely. Yeah. Of course, the Red Sox, well, we know what they did to the Blue Jays in that four-game sweep. They had a chance to sweep the Phillies on Sunday. Speaking of teams that might be for real, the Red Sox. But they dropped the 6-1 decision to the Phillies. Quite a week for the Red Sox. Nonetheless, Masataka Yoshida extended his hitting streak to 16 games. Pretty good. And even in the loss, they may have found themselves a full-time starter in Tanner Houck. He's gone five-plus innings in six of his seven starts. He's held opponents to a 254 average, given up two home runs in his last six starts. They've got James Paxton coming off his rehab assignment on Friday. But Alex Cora is already saying, you know what, we'll make a move, but Tanner Houck is going to stay in the rotation. And that was the issue. That was the issue with the Red Sox. This lineup might be good enough, Kevin, that all they need is decent starting pitching in order to get it done. Oh, and by the way, speaking of the Red Sox, we talked about Masataka Yoshida, extended his hitting streak to 16 games. How about Tristan Casas? Mm-hmm. How about Tristan Casas? His fourth home run of the season. He's got an on-base streak to 18 games. That's tied for the third longest streak in the majors. And this is a guy, a rookie, that a lot of people kind of wondered whether or not he was going to be able to, to hang in the majors this year. Well, this is what Alex Cora had to say about Tristan Casas, and then I'll get your thoughts on him. Hitting the ball in the air, more aggressive in the zone, uh, not missing his pitches. That's that's what happened early on. A lot of foul balls, a lot of two strike counts, and then the swing and misses. But uh, you know, he's hit three in the last four days, I think it is, right? Uh, one at home and the two here. So uh, he's feeling better. He's feeling better. Uh, be more aggressive, kind of like be on time with pitches. And uh, when you start hitting the ball in the air, center, left center, good things are going to happen. And uh, I do believe he's getting closer. The Red Sox, they've got two rookies then with active on base streaks of 15-plus games. It's uh-huh. only the second time in club history that happened. The last time it was Jacoby Ellsbury and Dustin Pedroia in 2007. It, 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 well, there's a bunch of things there to unpack. It helps them a lot that their best hitters are left-handed because most of the pitches that they're going to face are right-handed. That's going to help a lot. You can pass the baton in many ways. Don't. Remember, if you remember, John Snyder on our show saying something about pockets in his lineups. Not so much about the balance of the lineup. It's about, you know, you have contact guys. You have big daddy hack guys, right? That's sort of what this lineup has, right? You got a bunch of guys in the middle of the order who can bridge people, who can go back Lake City. You got some guys up front who can put the ball in, in play line to line. You got the bottom of the order guys who are trying to find their way by just hitting the ball up the middle. So you got a bunch of different things throughout that Red Sox lineup. But for me, it's about the, the rotation. If you can find out, Tanner Houck's a nice little mix. 6'5", crossfire. Almost can dominate a righty just because he's 6'5", crossfiring. And then you add the big slow breaking ball. You got the slider. You got the velocity that's sort of there. James Paxton, what's he going to give you? Nobody has any idea. Corey Kluber's old, right? It's 88, adding some track, more more of a, you know, putting it where he wants to put it. That's getting a little bit better. Chris Sale may be the X factor. Mm -hmm. They're a good team, too. 
right? It's the lineup is relentless. They have speed. They can beat you that way. They don't have to hit a home run now to beat you, which I got to be honest with you, it scares me a little bit. If you're in the American League East and you're the other four teams, just by saying that, they don't have to hit a homer. They don't have to hit the three-run homer like they have in the past Mm -hmm. to beat you. If they get some surprises in their rotation – that's another team. That's another team now yeah, it's, that you have to contend with. The American League East, man, I just there's no breaks. Yeah, and you, you look you look at their schedule too. Two against the Braves, three against the Cardinals, three against the Mariners, right? It's there's no give in any of these schedules. There's some really good teams. There's some really good teams who can be some other good teams. So this is fun. Now you now you got five teams that are above five hundred. Does it almost make you wish? That we didn't have the more balanced schedule, that there were going to be, I think so. there were going to be more games. I was thinking about oh, this yesterday. So. I'd, I'd almost rather this division is so good now. I'd almost rather have those extra games back against the Orioles, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays. I would. It's almost like you throw out the Braves and you put two, <laughs> the two extra games against the Yankees. Exactly. Now you're facing the Red Sox and the Yankees. I'm with you because it's the American League East. Yeah. You know, I want those seventy plus games instead of the fifty plus games. I want that. You may, it may, strangely enough, it may end up hurting teams in the AL East that they don't have more games against each other because you you may need to beat head-to-head. You may need a head-to-head win over somebody in order to get your playoff spot. It's just cool. It's cool that that's the best division in baseball. Yeah, it is. It is. And we all saw that coming. Absolutely. Well, we sort of did. We sort of did. Not to this degree, though. No, I didn't think five teams. 500 for everybody. Uh, David Sampson is host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. You can hear it on Metal Arc Media as a former president of the Marlins. We'll talk about bad, bad, bad contracts. Get David's take on the AL East. Jason Grilly as well. We got the back leg line, 416-413-3959. I got tickets to give away. I got a whole bunch to do in the next hour. I got to take a break. We'll be back. It's Blair and Barker on 590-360 and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet 360. The Jays have today off. They'll open a two-game series against the Phillies tomorrow. Spilt the coffee. Mr. Barker and myself will have the uh, Blue Jays talk Tuesday and Wednesday. Another off day Thursday. Friday, the Jays will be at home to open a series against the Atlanta Braves. A long homestand for the Blue Jays. A little bit of housekeeping forgotten the first hour, by the way. I'm sure you already know this, but Zach Pop went in the I.L. on Friday. Jay Jackson was called up. And as we mentioned a little earlier, Vladdy Jr. missed uh, Saturday and Sunday's game with the left, uh, left wrist soreness. Nothing to suggest that it's anything out of the ordinary right now. Although, one thing we do know about Vladdy is he likes to play every day, whether yep. it's at first base or DH. So, the fact that they shut him down would indicate that it's probably more than sure. Doesn't mean it's serious, but it means the pain was enough. What I'm saying is Vladdy's not, sure. Vladdy's not the type of guy to go skip. Give me a day off. There you go. Not two in a row, anyway. No, not no. two in a row. Especially, Especially against Pirates. the Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Great minds think alike. Speaking of great minds, David Sampson is host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. You can hear it on the Metal Arc Media Network. He's also former president of the Florida slash Miami Marlins, one of our favorites. Mr. Sampson, thank you for joining us 
today. Um, I want to talk about bad contracts. And the reason for that is the drama. I don't know if it's drama. It's more like a soap opera, I guess, we're seeing in St. Louis, where after giving Wilson Contreras $87.5 million, uh, the Cardinals seem to have decided that he's not good enough to be a catcher. He's now a full-time DH. Uh, it's early. This is the first year of the contract. The Cardinals, you know, they're saying they don't want to make him a scapegoat, but then in the next breath they're saying, you know, we're not happy with the way our pitchers have been f- performing, especially the numbers with two strikes. I mean, they're, the, the, the hint seems to be that something's going wrong with the way the game is being called and the way the game is being managed. And, of course, this is a team that didn't have to worry about that when Yadier Molina was here. So I wanted to ask you as a president, somebody who's given out, you've given out your share of good contracts and maybe some bad contracts as well. You know, fans and media like to jump on a contract early. I would think if you're an owner and a president, you got to be a little more, you, you can't react that quickly, can you? Boy, did I have fun talking about this on today's Nothing Personal. That's why we on, I, I, I was, that was tipped off. I was tipped off by our producer, Mark so Poffel, about that. It's as though they learned something in the last 30 days that everyone didn't know for the last number of years. <laughs> oh. I found it to be so not the Cardinal way. And that to me, it's the leading indicator of how bad things are right now, both on and off the field in St. Louis. And I get that they're way behind. I get that they're the most disappointing team in baseball, but I also get that going into the season, their starting pitching was a big question mark. And lo and behold, it's a big question mark. And to blame Contreras for that, we had a very simple rule, which is we did not allow our pitchers ever to tell us that they blamed the catcher for a pitch they threw, ever. If you don't like the fingers, then you shake it off and you throw what you're comfortable with, even if it's against what the scouting report says, even if the catcher, unless it's Pudge, even if it's the catcher telling you you've got to throw something, if you don't want to throw it, don't throw it. And once you do throw it, you own it. And so for me to even give an indication inside the clubhouse that it is a contrarious issue, I'm afraid what the Cardinals have done is now made things worse where the players in there are looking at management and saying, do they really have no idea what they're doing? So I found this to be a troubling, troubling, I mean, listen, it's not the end of the world, but I found the whole thing to be weird, including Mozeliak having to clarify to the athletic, by the way, he's not going to play outfield. So I just think the whole thing is an issue, but certainly when you give out $87 million for five years, you do not change course or learn anything after a month. And I'm talking about someone, me, who signed a closer to a three-year deal named Heath Bell and discovered quickly that we had made a mistake and dismissed it as bullpen arms are tough. And so I was able to rationalize it. But there is nothing about Contreras that is different today than it was yesterday. How hard is it, David, for a sports executive, not just in baseball, but when you are when you are trying to fill a gap created by the departure of an iconic player, which, I, I mean, Yadier Molina is he's part of the furniture in, in St. Louis. Hell, he's already being mentioned as a possible manager uh, in St. Louis. How do you, is there any right way to go about doing that? Yeah, so I thought about this, actually. 
when you are replacing someone who's not replaceable, I always viewed the best way to do it was with someone not on a long-term deal, but someone who's young, who you can just get rid of if they're not good. And if they are good, you can keep them. Uh, because the problem is that you bring in Contreras to follow Molina and you have to worry and, and understand his mental state because you can't replace Molina. And if you come in trying to replace Molina, you end up actually hurting yourself and the team. And when you put pressure on a player by giving them a deal like that, there's automatic pressure that comes with switching teams. And then add on top of that, the pressure replacing Molina and now add on top of it that they abandoned him in 30 days. And for me, this just leaves him in a position wondering, what have I done? Although every two weeks, he doesn't wonder that. David, is there a handbook or something that would tell you when to fire a manager? Well, the way we used to do it is if we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> so I would say that that's probably not the handbook. But we but are it now in bed. It worked once. It worked once. It did work once, and then we chased it every other time for the next <laughs> 14 years. So this, this is what I would say, that in May, you still have a chance to salvage a season. So if you evaluated your team as having a shot and they're underperforming and you want to believe that you can still turn it around and start playing better because maybe your team is what you thought it was, then you consider firing your manager. If you knew deep in your heart that the team was not going to be good and then it is not good, it doesn't help or matter to fire your manager. But this, we are now right in the time when, when front offices are looking at themselves and saying, okay, how did we do during the offseason? Were we right in the way we thought about our team or were we wrong? And, do we, and we do have time to change the narrative of the season, so that's why you start considering it. When you give out, a, what's worse? What's the worst component of a long-term big money contract? The money or the length? The length. So a one-year big contract, it's a mistake. You release the player, you move on, you view it as a sunk cost. The reason I don't like the length is that I carry around or used to carry around payroll for this year and then next year actually five years out. And when you see a name of a guy who stinks, who still is going to take up money that you consider to be dead money that you may have to release one day but still have to pay, you just carry around a briefcase of depression for a number of years. So I'd always rather overpay. And Andrew Freeman started actually doing this where he would give huge money or want to give huge money for short deals. And now all of a sudden this past off season – Every team forgot about that and was giving out decade-long deals. And I think that conservatively, 99.9% of those deals will be in the regret pile uh, toward the end of them. David, end of the season, the Yankees be the worst team in the American League East? No, I really don't think so. Now, now, now that said, I looked at their lineup, and I see what they're putting out every day, mm -hmm. and they put out a last-place lineup. Yep. Uh, and when Cole's not pitching, their last, play, their last place lineup, both in the rotation and in the lineup. Now, Brian Cashman promised me that everyone was going to be healthy and then promised me that once they're healthy, everything's going to be fine. And I'm still willing to think that that promise could come true. 
but it's not early for the Yankees anymore. Not because their deficit is so big, because the players are just that bad. So the Yankees really are a concern. For an executive, uh, you know, a lot of things go into to planning, both short-term and long-term, <clears throat> obviously. But where does the division fit into how you view your team? You know, Kevin and I were talking about this. This would be, frankly, this would have been an interesting year to be under the old scheduling format because the AL East, I've got to think they're going to be teams in the AL East at the end of the year that are saying, man, I wish we had four more games against the team in front of us. Yep. You know, maybe, maybe going head to head against somebody might make it a little easier to go into the playoffs than, uh, than otherwise. But how do front offices view divisions, view the division they're in? The, the, the bad owners are owners who make moves with the sole intention of trying to beat a particular team in their division or teams in their division versus doing what's best for the overall team winning overall games. We had an owner. Jeffrey's big thing was he would want to change the rotation around. I'm talking about Jeffrey Laurie, the former owner. He would want to change the rotation around so our best pitchers would face divisional opponents. And we would say to him, a win is a win is a win, even though some people t- would tell him, no, when you beat a divisional opponent, it really counts as two wins because they're losing. But I never subscribe to that theory. Uh, whenever the pitcher's time in the rotation comes up, that's when the pitcher should pitch, in my opinion. I don't believe in making your team to the weakness of your divisional opponents. I believe in making your team to maximize the ability of you yourself to win games that's a great point how about when your team looks really bad against the red sox and then goes against the pirates and looks just the opposite how does the front office judge the players or do they we don't we we really don't do it i've never spoken to a gm who looked at things in such a micro way there's so many games during the course of the season that you're going to have a bunch of two and eight stretches you're going to have a bunch of eight and two stretches it's just how it goes and the whole soft schedule thing is funny to me. And there's a team going through it right now in the National League East, the Mets, who had this soft schedule, and everyone thought this was going to be their time to shine. Meanwhile, they keep losing series, if not getting swept by these teams, and in theory are not good. And so that's why, as almost a defense mechanism, you don't look at the schedule and say, all right, this is where it's soft, this is where it's hard, this is where we have to focus and and hunker down. Because if you do that, you end up really suffering with the vagaries of baseball, which is you can go into Pittsburgh and sweep when Pittsburgh was bad, which I still think they are, go into Detroit and get swept, and then go play the Blue Jays and win two out of three. So I think that uh, most front offices choose not to look at it that way. I'm, I'm intrigued by how you would have viewed, and I know this, this whole episode has been, how would David Sampson, baseball president, sure. handle different situations? Mm-hmm. But Bryce Harper, you know, coming back from a, a, yes, he's not a pitcher, but he's coming back from Tommy John surgery obscenely early, according to you know people who are supposed to know these things. Again, yes, he's a position player. Yes, you can coddle him a bit by playing him at first base if you want. Uh, but, you know, as my friend Mr. Barker pointed out, you can hurt yourself diving back in. You know, even if you're a DH, you can hurt yourself diving into a bag or colliding with somebody mm-hmm. and, and have a, a more serious injury. How would you view that as Philly's president? Like, are, are you admiring the dude because he's... He wants to get out there and be with his boys and earn his money, or are you sitting there cringing, thinking, man, 
I got this guy for another however many more years, and I, I just, I, I just hope we're not rushing this. I was the number one guy not on the Bryce Harper bandwagon and saying that the Nationals only won a title because Harper left. And uh, it was because I viewed him as not as additive as he thought he was. And I've done a 180. I have such respect for what he does on the field. And the fact that he worked as hard as he did to come back when he did, you know, you can say he ate well and had a chef or whatever it is. The fact is you have to work hard in rehab. And I've seen players work hard. I've seen players not work hard. And of all people, when you have a guaranteed contract the way he does for so long, he could have mailed it in and sat out a full year. So I have great respect that he didn't. All of that said, I worried the thing I miss least about running a team is the everyday worry about players getting injured because players getting hurt when you run a low payroll, you can't get past it. Mm -hmm. And there's very few teams who can. We're actually learning that the Yankees, even with their payroll, are having a hard time getting past injuries. So I don't view Tommy John any differently than I view a hamstring or an oblique uh, or anything else. I view it as paying players not to play. And when you do that, you're going to lose more than you're going to win. So if I had a full team of Bryce Harpers who could stay out of the training room, who want to come back, who don't want to mail it in, you're going to have a winning team. 35 games in, are the Jays what you thought they were? They are. I mean, they're in the top, they're in the top half, I would say, of everything, of average run scored ERA. Uh, they're getting performances up and down the lineup, sort of. I mean, there's certainly a few early disappointments, I would say, at the bottom of the lineup. But the Jays are in a position, in my mind, you can't look at it. What are they, seven back maybe of Tampa right now? Yes. I can't remember what they are exactly. But you can't really look at where you are in the division because Tampa is such an outlier right now that there's no way that you can match them. And so you can't look at it that way. And, and I think they're doing a great job of just winning series and winning games and making sure that over a sustained period you play to your capabilities. And I fully expect the Blue Jays. I, I picked them to win the East. And I, I'm not willing to say they can't. I'm just saying that it's going to be way difficult for anyone to catch Tampa. I think I saw something, and this is I wish Coco were around. Uh, I think that if the, if the Rays play 500 the rest of the season, I think they win over 95 games or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And, and that makes it very difficult because they likely will play 500 for the rest of the season at least. So catching them is going to be hard. But in a playoff series, uh, I, I still love the Blue Jays. David, tell Not me if I, I'm on the air with you guys because mm-hmm. they're that good. Absolutely. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. They're, the Jays' bullpen is good enough to get them to the playoffs. When they get in the playoffs, this is me saying this, that I don't think they're good enough. Right or wrong? Uh, it doesn't matter. So let me tell you why there's not one team in baseball and I'll go 30 for 30 on this. Whoever is in October, their bullpen will be different than what it is today. Mm. So that is the one part of your team. You do not judge in may you go to the deadline and you look for who's hot and who you can just take advantage of that particular year as, as an acquisition. And everybody should be getting bullpen arms. And the second thing about bullpens in October don't forget how many starters actually end up in the bullpen when October happens. 
So don't be despondent about your bullpen, anybody, thinking that that's not enough to get the job done because you can't name your bullpen in October right now. Awesome. David, really good of you to do this, Great my stuff. friend. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Anytime. See you soon. Thank Bye-bye. You. It's David Sampson joining us. He is host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Uh, the Metal Arc Media it's Network, a great point. former Marlins president. Also was doing a fine job hosting the uh, Levitard mm-hmm. show last week, which is still my... Uh, One of your favorites. I, I mean, I just that's such a good show. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. While he was talking, I was thinking of Yusei Kikuchi in the pen for the Jays. How would that look? This year? Power lefty with a breaking ball. I'd be okay with it. How about that? I'd be okay Might throw with it. a little harder I'd out be of okay the pen. Could abuse it because he's a starter. Like he could go an inning and third, an inning and two thirds. He could do it in the sixth inning to get you to the eighth inning. I don't know. Kikuchi, Chad Green, Nate Pearson. How about more it? developed Nate Pearson. <laughs> How about it? But David is right. It, the bullpen will look different in October. Well, better. How about that? Thank you. It That's better a, look that different. Is, yes. That's that's a very good way. That that Jimmy Garcia, you oozing confidence with that? I'm not sure got, I am. You've got an sure interesting theory. Tell me your well, theory sure about theory. Jimmy. No, but it's something you've talked yeah. about, and I know, I'm I know you've talked about it on the air before. Yeah. Yesterday was kind of the first time. It's not that I didn't believe or agree with said, but yesterday was the first time I was watching the game and saying. I might be like 100% behind Barker well, the, in this. the four-seamer and the sinker have been getting hammered. So, with that aside, how many high-leverage guys you know have five pitches? Zero. Well, I mean, I, I shouldn't say zero off the top. That are any good. Like that, like that, all five of them, because he throws a lot. Now, the changeup, he'll throw occasionally to a lefty to get him off the, the four-seamer and the, and the curveball. But it's, he does have five pitches. How many high-leverage eighth-inning guys... He's sort of a hybrid, but he throws the eighth inning with the lead, with one run lead. Have five pitches. It's rare, if any. That, I wonder, is... What would you pick? Wait, if you were to... Three. three. You have two breaking balls and a four-seamer. I don't get the sinker. I I get why he throws the sinker to righties, right? It's the sinker in, slider away, sinker in, slider away. But I like the 98 four-seamer with the big curveball and the slider away. How about that? Eliminate could, the sinker. Sinker's been getting hammered. Could he Eliminate hit? that. Don't throw the change up until you have to throw it. Could now I hit? got three and a half pitches instead of five pitches. Could he hit 98 consistently with the four-seamer? Absolutely. We've seen it. But he it's sort of like he'll finesse the sinker. The two It's more of a two-seamer. Two-seamer side-to-side sinker's got more of a 11-to-4 move. It's more of that side-to-side. Eliminate that. Throw the four-seamer a little harder. Throw the breaking ball to a lefty. Throw the slider to a righty. Occasionally throw the changeup to a lefty. Then Now we're starting to see him throw changeups to righties. I, there's a reason why he's hit or miss. One time he's really good, the next time he's not really good. Because it's all over the place. And now, again, the two fastballs are getting hammered. Even more reason to eliminate one of them. Throw a little bit harder. Now you can locate velocity up, up and into a righty, up and into a lefty. Throw the curveball to a lefty. Throw the slider to a righty. That's good cooking. Now he can go wherever you want him to go, right? And he can control it a little bit better. And now the innings don't prolong the way they have been. That's all I'm saying. Like I... I just, when I was watching him throw, I'm like, why? Why are you throwing five, five pitches? Like, are they that good that you have to throw them? No. 
You're, you're reinventing the wheel when you don't have to. Velocity and locating the curveball is really good. Do that a lot. Because now we've seen the, the dip in the velocity. It's a little of this. You know, spring training, first couple of games, WBC, it was 98-99. We're like, yeah. whoa, where's WBC that at? Was... Where's that at? Yeah. He's got too many. Not throwing the four-seamer enough. Uh, we've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker, whether you listen to the radio or on our podcast. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily trivia question of 595.90. Friday's question and answer was, and shame on you if you didn't get it, Friday's question and answer was, this Brewer's top prospect made his MLB debut in August of 1999, collecting his first MLB hit against Chris Holt of the Astros. The answer, of course, was Jeremy Burnett's. No, the answer, of course, was Kevin Barker, otherwise known as the mayor of Back Lake City, who would have taken either answer. Today's question to win tickets is to win tickets to see the Jays and Astros down at the Rogers Center on June 5th. This six-time All-Star, I would have got this. This six-time All-Star was taken by the Astros in the first round of the 1996. You okay down there? Yeah, it's moving your stuff. In the first round of the 1997 draft and went on to play for the Yankees, Cardinals, and Rangers after his time in Houston. Again, this six-time All-Star, he was a really good hitter and really underrated. This six-time All-Star was taken by the Astros in the first round of the 97 draft, went on to play for the Yankees, Cardinals, and Rangers after his time in Houston. Text the answer to 595-90 for your shot. The Wincy rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Reminder, we will be going to the back leg line to end the show. The numbers are four, or the number is 416-413. Numbers. Slow down, Jeff. 416-413-3959. When you played, how did you, and, and when you were in the majors and when you are in the minors, how did you view what you did or what you needed to do in the first, I'm going to say the first 50 games of a everything. season or so? <laughs> That's everything. Well, if I was in the minor leagues, because I got a little older, if I had a bad first month, I was released. If I was in the big leagues, I had a bad first 25 at, 25 at bats. 25 at bats. Not 25 games. 25, 25 at, at bats. bats. I'm were... in the minor leagues. Yeah. End of story. There's no way I could have been Brandon Belt. Not a chance. Or Dalton Varsho. Eh, not when I played. There's no way that I would have, Dalton Varsho would have had 100 at-bats to figure it out. No. There was no khakis telling you, it's okay. You know, you stride separate. You keep doing it. Don't worry about the 110 you're hitting. It'll be all right. There's none of that. It was 110 you were hitting. 110 was 110. They sent you down. It meant everything. That, that thing about getting your feet wet. I hear these, everybody that runs these teams and people talk about, you know, stats don't matter and standings don't matter. Ask the player, stats don't matter. Ask, the, ask Espinal if stats don't matter early in the season. It's every player's different. Ask George Springer if stats don't matter. He tells you they do by not telling you. The way he acts when he lines out the left, they matter. It's a big deal. Guys want to get off to good starts. It's hard. After you reach the 100 at bat mark, now you have to get two hits for that thing to go up. Let me ask you this. So, yeah, it's a big deal. What's it like to get off to a good start in the minors and not get called? Awful. The worst. It's It's even worse when you get skipped by a person that's not doing as good as you are that plays the same position. That happened to you? Absolutely. More than once. I'd have to go back and look up the guy's right. name because he was a prospect and I wasn't. 
I, I don't remember what team it was for, but it happened to me twice. I was raking, but that guy was a prospect, and I wasn't. Was that the point where you kind of realized that? It was over, and I need to go somewhere else to play baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. Again, it's it's a the mental side of baseball is, for me anyway, second to none. I've never played professional hockey or basketball. I'm sure they have their own issues, too, mentally. But baseball, a lot of it's popularity. A lot of it. Kevin Biggio is a prime example of that. The manager likes him. He's hitting 100. Like, he's the 26th guy. He plays good defense. He's not going to hurt your team. He runs the bases. He might be their best base runner or their smartest base runner. Like, first to third, second to home. Gets good leads. Doesn't give things away. He's a really, really good base runner. Offensively, he's not a big leaguer. Say it any other way you want to say it. He's not a big leaguer. He's in the big leagues right now because somebody likes him. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not his fault. He's trying to take advantage of that and hopefully does because he's a good kid. I hope he does. But that's sort of what it is, right? It's a lot about you put a lot of – it's like uh, it's it's like a lot of guys, right, that, that you put a lot of time and effort into. And Nate Pearson's a prime example of that, right? Put a lot of time and effort into him. Now you're giving him a little longer window here to try and figure things out. It's – it's baseball. It's it's like any job, I think. But it is very frustrating. You gotta be mentally strong and you gotta especially if you're an older player and you're being skipped, even when you're doing way better than that player that's getting called up. I think the writing's on the <laughs> on the wall and you need to figure other things out. Jason Grilly is a former MLB pitcher. One of his stops is with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's host of the Mound Visit podcast. We'll talk to him about the just-concluded series against the Pirates, get his thoughts on the Pirates and also on the Jays, former team in the competition in the AL East. We'll go to the back leg line as well. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is amazing the things that you, you find to criticize people about. No, that's you. I look for the good, Jeff. You look for the good in everyone. We'll be going to the back leg line before you end the show, before we end the show, or before uh, Parker ends I the mean, show, which you, could happen any time. It's, it's your chance you, to it's your stop show. it. Your it's chance. The Blair. Blair show. It was a Blair show. We'd have to be talking Leafs today. Would you really? They're going for seven game sweep. Think, yeah. Seven game sweep of Tampa Bay coming Goes up. up. Look at those two. <laughs> Did they win or lose? Leafs? Yeah. I think they lost last Did night. Did they really? Yeah. Not entirely certain, but I think they lost. Uh, did they? Yeah, it's tough to see. <laughs> uh, Anyhow, 416-413-3959 is the back leg line, and uh, that's your chance to criticize Barker, leave nice comments for him, Why et cetera, just me? et Because uh, you are the star of the show. Uh, Jason Grilly is a former go. MLB pitcher. He's host of the Mound Visit podcast. It's a great name. It's a very good name. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Jason, thanks for joining us, man. Congratulations. How are you finding the foray into podcasting, by the way? Because I covered you a little bit, and you were 
as we say, you were a go-to guy in the in, in the clubhouse. How how do you find how do you find doing a podcast? Uh, it's a fun fun project, man. It's a good way. You know, I'm on your mound visit this today, so but thanks for mentioning <laughs> mine. <laughs> I figured, you know, what better day than a Wednesday? It's oh, we record on Wednesdays. We're not live yet. We're not doing the Sean Casey every day thing. That's a lot of lot of work and um, time. So we're just kind of feeling some things out. I. I had this idea way back in the day and my former teammate, John Buck was one of my catchers is like, drill. He's we were talking about all this stuff we're going to do, you know, post career and we're sitting in the bullpen. I don't know if it was a blowout. I said, man, you know, one of these days, everybody's got a podcast. I said, if I did do that, mine would be called mound visit. And then you just get anybody on. It could be a friend. That's a magician or I'm friends with Guy Fieri. Like it doesn't always have to be baseball guys, but of course, you know, I've incorporated a lot of, uh, good baseball stories and things that on uh, insights that I can tell people, you know, what, uh, what soap Troy Tulowitzki uses in the crack of his ass. I don't know. I, it's just, you know, <laughs> well, there you go. Topic. What if we don't you want know, to know that? Yeah, what if we don't want what to know that? What if we don't want to know that? Know that? <laughs> can, can I just, can I give you a hint? Can I give you a hint? Can I give you a hint? You got to get Joe Kelly on your podcast. You Let He's me tremendous. give you a hint. And he, he and, is great. And believe me, he will want to know. He won't only want to know, know what that. type of soap. He'll want to know. <laughs> Anyhow, Kevin, yeah. I was going to ask a question. Save this. <laughs> there's things there's things you can say on podcasts that you can't do on radio so that's why i tried to make it funny here and, and not weird but uh the clubhouse is a weird space man and, and it's funny because just a lot of alpha male and joking and god i miss that and that's what part of the mound visit is it just kind of connects me with some of my old teammates and even bring out more stories i, I had brandon puffer on i don't know if you know his guys his his story but i bought his book and read it on one of my plane trips from the bullpen to the state pen. I mean, the guy, <laughs> big Chris guy. Right. No, it's not. It's a, it's, it is a crazy title, and it would make you chuckle, but the serious side of it is, is you know, about making making right choices and decisions. And this guy was in the big leagues and, uh, you know, wound up having a substance abuse problem um, and, and made a wrong choice and, and you know, really uh, was able to help people in, in jail find God and, and is preaching the word to some of these kids like, hey, man, you know, we say we say it as, as adults and, and family and, and and whatever. Even the good teammates say, "Man, we need you. Uh, don't do this kind of stuff because we need you out on the field." But um, interesting story and, and and elevated him on my show because he's he's out there being vulnerable uh, to what hmm. decision he made and he even wrote a book about it. So you know, these types of things are cool to bring out. Um, as you guys know, in the media, there's a lot of stories that that are uh, we're people too. You know, and yep. we make mm-hmm. mistakes and. Uh, I love uh, the interview of what's his name from the, the Milwaukee Bucks. When one guy asked, you know, did you have a, did you, did you fail this year? Well, yeah. you don't really fail in sports. It's a progressive thing that, you know, Michael Jordan won six championships, but do you consider the other 15 years he didn't a failure? Is he a failure? No. Mm. So it's hard. This, this, this industry of sports, which is so competitive and so highly criticized and everybody's got a podcast and a, a blog and, we're all we're all so critical of, of trying to strive for perfection because winning is the the objective. But yeah, it's it's cool to talk about funny things and uh, sidebar stories on on my podcast. 
That's a great lead in. Jeff asked me about the the beginning of the season and does stats matter? And I said absolutely it does for me because if I wasn't hitting in the big leagues early in April, I was in AAA. Like it's plain and simple, cut and dry for me. But for an established guy like you coming out of a pen, is there a certain stat early in the season, something that you look at that says this is where I need to be so I'll be here in August or June or July in those months? Well, I can say this. I said, if you get just two bad outings as a relief pitcher, uh, you know, I'd say, let's just use this for example. If you have two outings, you give up three runs each outing and don't register an out, that could take you all year to get your numbers where you need them to be to be qualified to say, you know, you had a good year. But, uh, yeah, I think just anytime you get off to a good start, just, you know, confidence is the, really the key to this game. And when you're off to a, a, to a bad start, it can eat at you and you feel like, man, it's hard to get out of the park and it's hard to enjoy. So my thing was just like, hey, get get going. As much as spring training is, is you know, getting you in baseball shape, sometimes I felt like I wasn't completely where I needed to be, almost like just, let's figure out how to get to like, you know, mid-May, just right about now. I'd start to feel like myself would open up. Um, and then you have to get to August where the dog days, the opposite side, you're like, holy cow, can I hang on to that? feeling and and get through some of the the fatigue that that the season brings about starting around those dog days but uh yeah it's, it's a difficult thing man of course um teams are out trying to get out in front trying to establish who's going to be a winning team i always say you kind of know the makeup and character of a team of 45 to 60 games in you really know if they're they're real or not and um it's a long season you know so talks that you're having in april be totally different in September. You all know that. So, uh, but yeah, getting off to a good start, I think, for any player is always good because it gives you a little bit room to breathe, a little bit room to have confidence. So we had a guy here, uh, uh, so was it Sawinski? Um, uh, he was off. You think he had like two hits, and then he went off for the Pirates. So, you know, it's just guys find their grooves at different times, and once you can breathe a little bit, it's it's uh, it's definitely. <laughs> It's a hard game, man. You put put skates on these guys. I watch, you know, some of the hockey stuff going on too, man. And I was enamored by the NHL because I I, I can't really ice skate, and I just uh, love watching the intensity of that that sport, man. So it's hard, and until you really can appreciate what guys go through and day in day out, man, you just you just try to you know cheer rather than criticize. Moreover, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, that's why I'm doing a podcast now. I don't have to put on those <laughs> those intense days, man, and faces to get out there and, and do the job and have uh, let down my team or city, you know, in the days that you don't that you don't do the job. Jason, when you're when you're in the bullpen and you know, other than the closer and a lot of teams, there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of shifting of responsibilities uh, in the relief corps. How do guys handle that in the pen? Because you know, guys, you guys are a team. You guys are a unit. You sit together. You got a lot of time to talk. And maybe a guy's had a bad run, and all of a sudden he's not getting the call in the eighth inning. It's somebody else getting the call in the eighth inning. I mean, in this team, it's like Anthony Bass is sort of trying to work his way back into what we would call a quote unquote responsible role. What happens in a bullpen when that happens? How do guys deal with the failure? Or I'm failure is the wrong word deal with the lack of success of the other members of the bullpen? Because they're your buddies. You spend a lot of time talking to them. This guy's scuffling. And in some ways, it might help you because maybe you're the dude getting the more responsible role out of this. 
Yeah. No, you, you know, you're in truth be told, you're competing against your own teammates uh, some of the time because, uh, you know, but never really rooting against them. Uh, they'd be sick to sit there and go, God, I hope he fails or, you know, whatever. Cause we're all, we're all wearing the same Jersey, but I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, when I went to Texas, to, right after I got traded from the blue Jays, I went to Texas uh, for the second time and I got there and, uh, <laughs> I asked, I said, what do you want me to do here? And they're like, fix the bullpen. I said, well, what's going on? He goes, well, this guy thinks he should be the closer. So there was, there was a little bit of a dissension going on in the bullpen for jockeying of spots and position. And I said, all right, I'll go down there. So what I did is I just started a fire in the, inside the bullpen underneath the stand. You started a fire, guy. like a fire. Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yep, they almost had to call the fire department. We started a little, little bonfire with gum wrappers and whatever else and started getting a little bit bigger and, and uh, our coach goes, what are you doing? I go, you asked me to fix the bullpen, right? I go, I'm doing it. Just leave me alone. So it, it started with that. Just like I said, being a kid and being stupid, uh, luckily we didn't set the place on fire. But um, just, you know, guys, just you want to be in the closer? Then I said, then be the closer in the sixth. You got the sixth? Good. You want to you do that good? You're not going to get to the seventh or the eighth and convince anybody with your mouth. You might as well do it when you're going out there when the sixth job you got. So, Throw another, throw another something on the fire. Now we're done. We're done with that. So that was just kind of my mentality when I went in there to get guys to go, just shut up and do your job. If you don't like where you're at, then play better or continue to do your job. That's what I, that's what I had to do. I was a sixth, seventh inning guy. I was a middle reliever for a long time. And how I became, you know, late into the back end of the bullpen guy was I prided myself on, you asked what stat was big for middle relievers, inherited runners, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's what I pride myself on. I came in the middle of the game when the games are in balance, and, and I shut them down. I said, man, when Clint Hurdle asked me when I got traded to the Rockies, he's like, what What do you think you, you know, what do you want to do with your career? I said, you shouldn't me right now. I said, I want to be in the back end, but, and I know I can do it because, you know, I, my inherited runners is best in, in the tops in the big leagues. He goes, you're paying attention to that? I go, well, yeah, that's my job. That's what you asked me to do, right? That's what I've been doing. But I said, if I'm in the back end of the bullpen, imagine I could do it a clean inning. I know I could do that. So, I again, to the point, just do your job. I think you got instead of focusing on this whole thing, if you're supposed to be the closer, you'll work yourself into that role. But you got to convince. And there's a lot of things with guys that get big contracts or they've had more experience to, to move that, that needle to get into that position. That's kind of somewhat my story was. Um, and, I, and I've lost jobs too. I mean, you know, hey, whether I was traded or – the organization is going different directions. So, you know, you just got to go out and pitch every time you get the ball, or every time you get a chance to get in that bat, just go do what you can and help to try to help the team win. I mean, there's enough for everybody. Uh, I think in what you're supposed to be deserving of, you get those opportunities. And when you capitalize on that, man, um, the team kind of got to rally behind that. This guy's doing the job. You know, if you're, you guys think it's three pointers, I'm passing the ball till you go cold. Why would I not pass you the ball when you're hot? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? So it's the same thing in baseball. Why would a guy not be in the lineup that's crushing the ball, you know, or diving, making diving plays? He's on fire. You, you play that. You play that guy. You know, you play the hot hand. What number's big on the roulette wheel? You play it, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, hey, but, you know, we're all competitive. We all want to be in those those glory moments and spots. And, and that's the position of an athlete. You know, you don't want to sit the bench. You don't want to sit there. You want to further your career and get the most out of it. So, I get I get both sides of it, but you gotta 
stay competitive, and that's the hard part, you know, surviving all that adversity. It's interesting hearing you say that because my friend Mr. Barker always tells me, you know what constitutes a good teammate is a dude who will score when you get a hit, like the guy who's going to yeah. give you an RBI. Who, and I'm getting the sense that with, with relievers, well, you made an interesting point. You know what makes a good teammate if you're a reliever? Strand some runners for your starter, right? Strand oh, some man. runners for the guy you came in after. That makes you a good teammate. Exactly. That's how you get some free drinks after the game, too. <laughs> <laughs> the all-important free drinks. Jason, listen, we we appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks Great so much. Stuff. Good Thanks, stuff. Buddy. Congratulations on yeah, the Pat podcast. Have lots of success with it. Have lots. I know you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Sure. Thanks, man. See yeah. you soon. Save me a spot. I can't wait to get back up to Toronto, guys. I'll see you this summer. See, see you, buddy. Beautiful. We look forward to it, man. Take care. <clears throat> Jason Grilly. Um, a very, 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 very popular member of Sure was several bullpen. He was, he's one of those guys. Every you know, bullpens always have those guys. We had the uh, 2015 Jays. You talk to dudes around that team, and Latroy Hawkins' impact on what was going on mm-hmm. in the bullpen was was huge. And well, it was good on the field. That helps. That's exactly that's the biggest thing. Because if he's not what he says, you're going to look at him. You're, you're not even going to hear what's coming out of his mouth. He has to be good on the field, which helps a lot. But it is that little competition in, in the in the bullpen. It's the same way as a hitter. Like, if I'm hitting in front of Bo Bichette, I want to be just as good as he is, or which you can't be because he gets more hits than anybody. But you see the point, right? You're trying to live up to and do your job. And, yeah, it's it's the, the definition of a good teammate is, is many different things. It really is. Help me get paid. That's a good teammate. Absolutely. 416-413-3959. That's why I'm a good teammate. 416-413-3959 is the uh, back leg line. Your chance to ask questions <laughs> of uh, Kevin Barker. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe cool. I said it either. Let's go to Sherry in Brampton. She had a question for Kevin or a comment. With all the talk of, of Bichio and not doing well and, not, and being played so often, you said today on the show that the, with his uh, average and with his ability, the only reason he's still on a team is that somebody likes him. Can you give me a reason why the khakis or the coach would like Biggio so much, what they feel he offers the team when he's doing so poorly? Thank you. Ah, uh, The million-dollar question, Mr. Barker, I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay, well, th- there's there's one reason. Tw- 2022, he saw 4.231 pitches per plate appearance. This year, he's seeing 3.867. You guys roll your eyes. That's one reason. Like he sees a lot of pitches per plate appearance. Not, rolling my Not eyes. saying that <clears throat> it's he's hitting he's hitting 143, but that's one of the reasons is where he's hitting in the lineup. He sort of passes the baton when it comes to the guy standing on the on-deck circle because he's, I hate to say it this way, made an eight-pitch out. At least the guy on the on-deck circle just saw eight pitches, right? So so he's got a little That's bit more information. That he's got a little has. bit yeah, more yeah. information that maybe because I'm sort of the same kind of hitter because I'm sit, I'm hitting at the bottom of the order, maybe I can lay off that pitch and I can see the fastball instead of the breaking ball or I don't like the changeup because Kevin just saw it a couple of times. I think that's one of the reasons. I think he can play lots of positions is one of the reasons too. It's not the easiest thing to be good on both sides of second base. That's a very hard thing. Angles from a barrel is very hard to pick up. 
Would you be okay with Kevin playing right field a couple of days in a row? I would be. Would you be okay with him playing third base or left field a couple of days in a row? Defensively, I would, would be. Would you be okay with that's him DHing? Well, I have obviously not. Well, no, that, that's, that's not your the, point. That, that's, I'm making your point there, for you. That's yes. sort of it's he's a he's a guy look beside the average and the strikeouts and what he's not giving you. He does give you something when it comes to what I just mentioned here. And we do we do try and Yeah. We we do try and make some I don't want to say it's an excuse for Kevin, but we do try and invent good things that he does for a baseball team. No. He, I mean, he's been part of this core. He, he single does. A I mean, it just is. And and you know what? Uh, I'll tell you this: if he didn't, if he didn't swing the bat left-handed and occasionally I, run into one, he wouldn't be in the I team. I will say this: I will ask you All-Star break. Who is here, Kevin or Espinal? Ooh, I'm not going to answer that right now because I have to think about it. We, I just want to get to Keith and Brampton. Seriously, mm-hmm. it's a good question, Keith and Brampton. We've seen Garcia a couple times now, and it, he seems to be uh, good question. You know, faltering a, a, a little bit, uh, especially in the Pirates game yesterday, where he comes up and he loads the bases. What, uh, Kevin, I guess this question would be for you. What do you think the fix for that is? Is this a trend that we're seeing with Garcia? Um, even though his, his velo is kind of there, uh, his uh, location seems to be off, and is this cause for concern? Thanks a lot, guys. Love the show. Go Jays. Thank you, man. That's a, great, that's a great question, and, and you've been paying attention, which is a big deal every time somebody calls in and is paying attention and can – Contribute yeah. to the conversation is a big deal. I This is just me saying this from what I've seen from Jimmy Garcia. I think if he eliminated a couple of his pitches and concentrated on one fastball, two breaking balls, dabble, sprinkle if you want to with the changeup, I'm okay with that. I, I w- this is just me. I think you would see the velocity go up on all of his pitches. I think you would see the location would be better on all of his pitches. And John would be, quite frankly, more excited about going to him. It's almost like some of the times it's Swanson's not available and I can't use Jordan Romano in the eighth inning most of the time. Yes. Get Jimmy up. I'm not sure that's how it is, but, boy, it sure feels that way. I got two words to correct Jimmy Garcia. Chad and Green. Chad Green. Eh. It's a little weird. Until I see that. I know, I know, I know. But no, uh, listen. Uh, it, it's your your point is well made. It may be, and, and I'm not certain. I I'm not certain. I like seeing him down and up. Like I'm not certain. I want him for an inning and a third. I I, I well, don't know if I have that they're much. They're doing that because he has five pitches. Yeah, and he can throw to a lefty and a righty. But his two fastballs have been getting hammered, and that that's the whole thing. Yeah, here I is, want. I just think it's too many. More Eric Swanson for me would be better right now. You can't throw him every day, Jeff. No, only Adam Simber gets to throw every, every day. day. Well, he's not here. What? How? Where did that get him? Where's he at? Yeah. Well. Anyhow. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good Didn't question. have an answer for that, did you? No, no. Mm-hmm. You, you, and now I, you gave me the the Biggio Espinal question. I got a. It's intriguing. I know what you think you would have to give up to get what you want. <laughs> Probably, Kevin. I got. But it. Is it? Is it? I mean, I, I just, I. That's a hard question. I, I would hope it's Espinal. Do I think it's going to be Espinal? I think Kevin on this I team defensively may be bringing more. Well, because of how you want to use your outfielders. He, I'll, I'll tell you what. He, 
I know people don't like to hear that, and they roll their eyes and they throw their hands in the air. There are, and I might be that way sometimes. But you look at this team and what they need and what they're trying to keep on the field. I don't mind it when the ball is hit to him in the outfield. I don't either. I'll I'm put with it you. that way. He catches them. I'll put it. I'll put it that way. I don't mind when the ball is hit to him in the outfield. I'm with you about the base running. He, he's a. He might he's, be the best one they got. He's maybe not the fastest, but he's very good. No he's question. Uh, Mr. Barker, that was fun today. We will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet 360. No Jays game tonight, but we will be doing Blue Jays talk Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Is our hockey tonight? There's no Leafs game tonight. Have yourself a great day.